You're listening to Intentional Optimists, the podcast for unconventional leaders, where you'll find inspiration, learn to discover and develop your own strengths, and hear from inspiring women just like you who are making a difference in their community. Who knows, you just might find yourself stepping up as the next unconventional leader right where you are. I'm your host, Andrea Johnson, the original Intentional Optimist. Do you ever leave a conversation feeling nurtured? Like you've been picked up, cared for, and gently set back down on your path. That's what I felt like after my conversation with today's guest. Lori Smith is an intuitive public speaking and leadership coach. She's figured out how to tap into the intensity of her own empathy and intuition to connect with those who both want and need to share their own vision. But if you're like many, that whole process can feel very overwhelming. We'll settle in and listen as my new friend, Lori Smith, shares her own insights and revelations for cutting through all the extra. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have you here. We were kind of joking before the show. You are, you're one of my long-suffering guests. I've had to reschedule you a couple of times, so I'm really excited to speak with you, and I'm really excited to get your story. I love the fact that you've got leadership in your coaching title as well. So why don't you give us a brief understanding of a little bit of your background and what you do and how you serve? Awesome. I am a public speaking and leadership coach. And my journey to that in some ways started when I was born or when I was about seven. (laughs) And uh, I'll try to do a a rich, fast version of letting people get to know me. I sort of came into the world knowing that I was meant to lead and be seen and then had a period of time where I unlearned that and covered it up. And at about seven years old, my mother found me in my backyard playing make-believe by myself. I had been playing with friends. I wanted to finish the story and they went on and I stayed there. And she immediately took me to an acting class. And I like to tell people that theater was actually my first spiritual zone. Okay. As you can probably imagine, there's a light side of theater and a dark side of theater, and both contribute to the fire of our own growing. And I've spent my life kind of heading toward and drawing to me more of the light side of theater. And what I found, even at a very young age, is that other actors were able to be deeply present and connected to me in a way that most of the world wasn't being. Hmm. So I was always drawn there. And then fast forward 20 years, I was doing a lot of theater at night, working as an executive assistant during the day. And I started feeling this call to, to go toward one aligned life because I felt like I was very split between a day job and who I really was. And I ignored it at first. And then I had a really powerful experience in my favorite acting class with my favorite instructor, where the whole class was focused on me. Normally it was divided. The attention was divided between four people. And on this day, it was like everyone was throwing stuff at me. And I kept trying to kind of pull myself together 
and be fine in between these little things that they were throwing at me. And the instructor paused and said, stop doing that. Whatever that is, just go from where you are. Hmm. And I said, I'm not that comfortable having everyone's eyes on me. And then he responded, well, you've picked a strange set of careers for yourself. (laughs) Part of you wants this. Yeah. Part of you knows you're meant to be here. And it, it hit my heart and soul. And I also deeply trusted and respected him. So even all of my protective mechanisms, like the ego and the soul suckers, they all kind of went, okay, we'll give it a go. And as this exercise continued, I felt layers of all that protective armor and emotional masks that we all tend to have. I felt it melting away. And when the exercise was over and the acting was over, I looked out and I felt like I could see and feel what kind of day everyone else was having. And it's, I realized that in allowing myself to truly be seen, I could actually tap into my own intuition and see and connect to people better. And that was a key moment that is woven into how I now help my clients as leaders to be seen and expand their speaking presence and their leadership presence knowing that they don't need to pretend to be like someone else. They can be themselves and hold the space for others. You know, um, God, I don't even know how to start with that because it's beautiful. I mean, the, the nugget I'm taking immediately away is it's amazing how when we allow ourselves to be just who we are, Um, That gives permission to everyone else to be who they are. And when we do that, we no longer have walls up in between. Um, You know, it's a little bit like shields down. And yeah, yeah, uh, that is a beautiful, beautiful intro. Thank you. Um, you. So you work specifically with, um, with other entrepreneurs or with what kind of leaders do you work with? Some of them are what I would call reluctant leaders. (laughs) I'm I'm familiar with those. Yeah, um, I was one for a long time. Mm -hmm. How I've started calling them are visionary souls or sensitive souls on a mission. So they're feeling called to step out of the shadows and share their message in a bigger way. Most of those are entrepreneurs with their own business where they've, they've turned their their sole work into a business, probably about 10% are executives and leaders at all levels within businesses who are sort of the rebel with a cause within the business where they do have a vision. It's just in their world of that organization rather than something in the world that they want to help change. Okay. Um, do you work primarily with women or is it just anybody? I work with both. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with a lot of empaths, introverts, highly sensitive people, intuitive people. Uh, sometimes I call us the weirdos, the misfits who feel like, you know, we're different in some way and we want to own that and value that and show up from there. Probably about I don't know, 10, 15, 20, not all that great with numbers, somewhere in there are men. 
Mm. And the 80 to 90% are actually women most of the time. Mm. So I have several friends that I would say fall into that category, um, or at least one of those. So (laughs) for for those who are listening, who may not have heard some of those terms, um, empath is a little bit more common. Um, I have a friend who is most definitely and has educated me on the highly sensitive people. Um, Mm -hmm. But could you kind of give us a a little bit of an understanding of if, how would I know if I am one of those people? Mm. Uh, If you are a highly sensitive person, the quickest description is that you might be sensitive to lights and sounds and going out to a loud, a loud networking event is going to tax your system. An introvert is someone who feels nourished alone. You know, that's how we recover and may want to spend a lot of time alone, love reading about things as opposed not, you know, it's not universal. Uh, And then an empath is someone who feels what other people feel, either emotionally, physically, or energetically. And a lot of empaths are walking around not realizing that they're picking up on what others are feeling. Before I knew what an empath was, I wrote a one-woman play Mm. about feeling what I feel feeling what other people feel. And that was way too much feeling overall until I started realizing when we're feeling a lot, my mind might start to look for reasons of why I'm feeling so much and make myself wrong for it Yeah. versus, oh, I am feeling something and this room full of people is also feeling something. And that's why it's so intense. And then being able to have that distinction usually helps me and a lot of the clients that I work with. Um, so I never thought of myself as an empath or uh, I am technically on the Myers-Briggs. I fall right inside the introversion line. And um, I think there are different, many of us fall on the introvert extrovert line, uh, whether it's Myers-Briggs or someplace else, but um, there are plenty of days when I get all of my nourishment. I need to fill my cup by reading a book. I need to fill my cup by just being quiet. Um, it's like, uh, I, my friend says, we've done enough peopling today. Yes. I've mm-hmm. done enough peopling today. Um, and I never thought of myself as empathic, but I was just a quick story. I thought I was going to be a very practical student. And my dad told me in 1982 ish, nurses will always have a job and you're really good at science. And, you know, he was a little prescient in that, in that sense. Um, and so I tried, you know, I was going to head in that direction and I ended up halfway through college and saying, no way. I mean, literally my first day of nursing school, I spent the day throwing up and, um, I couldn't even give my dad, we grew up, I grew up overseas and my dad needed allergy shots and I couldn't even give him his allergy shots. Mm. Physically, it hurt me to do that. Mm-hmm. And it just never occurred to me that any of that had anything to do with empathy, right? We think of empathy in this very Western um, surface level way. Mm-hmm. And we think, well, I can empathize with someone because I know what they've been through, or I've been through the same kind of thing. I've been through adoption. I've been through infertility. So I can empathize. Mm-hmm. But we neglect this idea that we could potentially physically feel what other people feel. Um, my teeth hurt when my son gets a scrape on his knee. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I feel those things and it never even occurred to me. And um, it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I walked into a place that I frequent a lot 
And the woman behind the counter says, I just love to watch you read a room. And I said, mm. me? <laughs> and she said, you just do it with such grace and ease. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you could probably tell me exactly what's going on with all the people, or at least what you think is going on with all these people in this room. And I'm like, what is she talking about? And then I realized, oh my gosh, she's totally right. So your idea that we don't see it or understand it in ourselves. Um, and then to understand other areas where one of the reasons why I feel the energy in a room so intensely is because of that. Yeah. And I've had to learn how to manage my energy in order to be in those spaces. So yeah. I hope anybody listening, I hope that helps you understand a little bit about what she's talking about here, because I think yeah. there are a whole lot more out there than we realize. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, were you going to say something else? You, you made me think of one thing when it comes to uh, speakers. The tendency is because we're feeling all that stuff as empaths is to actually try to shut it, shut it down. Right. And you use the word manage it, or sometimes I use channel it or harness it. Right rather than trying to suppress it or shut it down or make all that energy smaller, if we can actually make our own energy bubble bigger, it gives all that stuff more space to live and then it feels less overwhelming. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful analogy. Uh, and that goes along well with, you know, came up with my six tenets of intentional optimism four or five years ago. And one of the things is energy. And it's all about um, one of the, the pieces of that is joy and, and excitement. And I talk about it bubbling up like champagne. And it just, when I'm in situations where that is really helpful to me, I, I can, I can participate on the quote dance floor of whatever's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, we, boy, we're on the same page. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so really quick, how, how do you work with people when, who are like this? Um, and what is it that do you use like acting techniques or what do you use with, to help them get better at what they do? Yeah. I integrate some, some yoga, some mindfulness, some mm -hmm. leadership, some coaching, and then the piece that comes from the world of theater is mostly around breath and the voice, because okay. I, I don't want people to get on a stage and try to play a character that's different than them. Mm. And we're sort of taught by the outside world to hide who we are behind all of that armor and behind the energetic and emotional masks. And I like to work with people. My favorite way is to work in small groups so okay. that we we help get clear on what are the limiting beliefs that you've picked up over the course of your life that are somehow telling you that you're not enough, which hold mm -hmm. you back. What are your physical habits of suppressing and possibly caving in or working too hard, releasing those and finding the kind of efficiency of body, breath, and energy that we all came in with as babies. Right. And the number one way that we suppress is by holding our breath. Most right. of the Western world is only using a fraction of the capacity of their breath, which means the way our energy radiates and the way our voices resonate is not as full or rich as we're all capable of. You know, I'm, 100% guilty of that. And I will find myself in a stressful situation and starting to get a little bit lightheaded 
And Mm -hmm. I literally say, you have to breathe. And I I often find that if I breathe out, like if I exhale, that's what I'll tell Mm -hmm. myself, exhale, because my body automatically inhales, right? It's just like, it's going to do that on its own. Um, It's a natural tendency. And if I exhale, then it's going to inhale. Because if I try to just inhale, then I'll pass out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You might not (laughs) hyperventilate. Yeah. You might not be exhaling fully. And you just made me think in yoga, sometimes yoga or pranayama, the breathing techniques, Mm -hmm. if you want to expand the inhale, you actually can do that with more ease by extending your exhale so that Mm -hmm. then your body recognizes that it's, it's low in the tank and it just effortlessly fills, it replaces what was used on that exhale. Yeah. It's really amazing. I mean, we are truly fearfully and wonderfully made and it's just, there's this intricacy to how we work. And I think that we've shut it down too much and we don't, we want to pretend that it's like mind over matter. And um, there is a piece of that that goes with mindfulness, but mostly mindfulness is keeping you in touch with your body, not telling your body what to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Letting the body have a voice too. So you got into this because of your own experience, Mm -hmm. but at what point did you say, this is how I need to work? Mm. I was, I actually came out the other side of graduate school thinking I was going to teach theater and be a starving artist (laughs) who during the day, who taught during the day and acted at night and didn't make that much money, um, which is that's a a thing you grow up with as an artist. It's not even true. I know plenty of teachers who are making a great living. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching theater at a community college and a student about my age came up to me and said, you're different. The way you, the way your style is more like a coach. Whereas the other teachers are still using more of that professor style Mm. where they're on the podium and they're telling, they're professing (laughs) things that they know that we don't yet know. Mm. You are at the same level with us. You're curious, you're asking questions. Mm. And when you trust your intuitive style, you look like you're reading people's minds Mm. and you're getting the best performances out of all my classmates. And she said, you know, you wouldn't know that because you're not seeing them in all the other classes, but their performances in the other classes are not as good yet. (laughs) And And then she said, when you don't trust yourself and you try to do it the way you think you're supposed to do it, their way, Mm. it's really not working for you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it with just that pure candor. Isn't it nice? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I knew that, you know, I could feel that intuitively. I could feel Mm. the moments where my intuition was so strong. I would just start being curious and blurting things and asking questions like I'm breaking the rules, but I have to, I can't stop myself. And (laughs) so I took her suggestion and I immediately went and took my first ever coaching class. Okay, I'm one of the only people I know who paid full price (laughs) because I was so intuitively drawn to go there. Mm. And within about 15 minutes of being in that first class, I turned to someone next to me and said, I think I just found the final piece of what it is I'm here to do. And she said, what is that? And I said, I don't know with my brain yet. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) It took a little longer 
Um, I, I remember hiking with a friend of mine and saying I was sort of drawn to something, something with the voice. And she did a double take on the hiking trail and went, that makes sense for you. Mm. And then before my coaching exam, I called up my old favorite boss because I wanted to intimidate myself. The coaching exams, there's a written exam, but it's also live mm. and on the phone. And I thought if I coach him, it's going to be like a preview, you know, coming from the theater. It's like the preview for the opening night. I will scare right. myself a little. So I coached him. And because he was such an entrepreneur, he let me coach him, gave me feedback, thought it was great and said, and as a business owner, how are you going to differentiate yourself? And he said, you need a niche. You always used to be really into fitness. Could you get in the door with something like that? And I kind of went, no, but now that you mention it, I could see bringing things that I know from theater together with coaching mm. and then coaching leaders on their speaking. Mm. And that was kind of the moment that it was born. And then of course I've been in business for 15 years. I've done all the things of meandering and no, I'm not a speaking coach. I'm an everybody. I can help anyone, which is not a good idea. Those of you starting your own businesses. Yeah. <laughs> I've only done that you really love. Yeah, I get it. We, <laughs> it's yeah. really easy to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so let's actually go back to young Lori. You said at the very beginning, you kind of gave us a little bit of this, um, but you said you kind of were born knowing that you were meant to be seen, that you were meant to do this. Um, and then you kind of buried it for a while. And mm -hmm. then it, you woke back up to it and gave us beautiful stories to go along with that. Um, but if you had to say there was an earliest leadership memory, what would that maybe be? Hmm. Being handed. So I grew up playing sports. Okay. And I have been this tall almost since I was about 10 years old. So I started out as the center on the basketball team. And if you don't <laughs> know sports, it's the tall one who used to just stand next to the basket and catch the ball and put it in the basket. The big. The big. Yeah. And uh, then everyone else grew past me. I am five foot four and three quarters. That is not center sized. <laughs> no, but you got three inches on me. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of my basketball coaches, first one in high school, handed me a basketball and said, carry this with you everywhere because mm -hmm. you are now the point guard. And he said something like, you have the mind for it. You have the leadership. You know, I don't remember the exact words, but it was like, you see the whole court. You have leadership skills. So you're going to be the one orchestrating everyone. And I think that that's the first moment that I can remember of, oh, not only do I need to figure out what to do with this ball, which I really did, uh, the point guard on the boys basketball team, <laughs> men's yeah. basketball team. Yeah was one of my best friends. And he both of I was like, Oh, he's already an incredible ball handler. And he's yeah. carrying the ball everywhere. So mm. I'll take my coach's advice, both of us, you know, point guards walking around with the ball <laughs> everywhere, so that you don't have to think so much about this thing being in your hands. Smart. That's and that's like a really good 
um, way to, to point, I just, sometimes we, we discount, I think the, the beauty and the ability of athletic coaches sometimes in mm -hmm. the coaching world, in the like life and education or, or, um, executive coaching and leadership coaching world, we discount the, the athletic coach because we think, yeah, they just coach sports. No, no, no. They coach people. And, um, for a coach, cause I have a, a similar story, but mine was, I was the cheerleader. And, um, but for me, it was, we grew up with basketball, right? So for me, it was him saying, um, I need you to be the statistician. I need somebody to run all of this. And, um, but for a coach to say, you already see the big picture, your mind's already playing out all the scenarios. He was showing you how you already were a leader. And now I hear you telling me, this is what you do for other people. You look mm -hmm. at their big picture and you say, Let's look at all of these pieces and parts and put them together. So you kind of already, you do that again. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think that I was doing that for such a long time. And I think I know how I do it mm. because it, it doesn't feel like I'm a, an organizational mind myself. In fact, I'm, I'm not exactly I can put things together. And a lot of times I think it's because when I listen to people, I can hear the words that are important to them. They literally resonate in a different way. So I listen to them and then I reflect back. This is what I'm hearing. This is what it sounds like. And I'm, it's like a mirror that goes, oh, you couldn't see that zit on your face until the mirror was, you know, it was right there, but it's the mirror that goes, here is the overall vision that you just described. Yeah. And they're going, no, I didn't. Well, you did. If I only listened to all of the words that were vibrating differently. And then I kind of threw it down on a piece of paper and said, how about this? Yeah. Um, that's a real gift. And um, to be able to kind of seen that early on in your, in your development, I think is really amazing for that coach, but it's always good for us to be able to look back, I think. And it's fun to see if the story that I get is one that actually pertains to what you do now, because it's amazing how many women's stories do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Exact same thing that you said is that it got buried somehow. Mm -hmm. And by the time we hit whatever we're doing now, we've said enough is enough being buried. I'm coming. I'm going to like rise above the surface and I'm going to do my thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as far as the mindset is concerned, you already do that for your clients. And um, you've told me how you had your former boss actually really speak into your life as far as how you were going to become a coach and the type of coaching you would do. I love how the puzzle pieces fit together. Um, I, I talk about that a lot, especially with my clients saying like, here's the box. Let's look at the box and then let's just see where all the pieces go. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like even though you couldn't see the top of the box, you knew that the pieces were all coming together. And I think that's a really lovely story. Yeah. Um, so was there a moment that you said, um, I need to do this on my own full time? Because I, when I got certified as a coach, I was still working. Um, I was still working another job and, um, I, you know, I was still trying to figure out who I wanted to serve. Is that something that you did as well? I had an intention for a gradual <laughs> shift. When I, when I first started coaching, I was working as a personal assistant. So I'd left being an executive assistant, went to school, came back out and was teaching and being a personal assistant. And then I went to coaching classes and I knew 
the coaching is the small one and the personal assistant and the teaching are the bigger ones. Personal assistant was gone pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. Although I spent a few years kind of still doing that for myself to hide. <laughs> and over time, the teaching, it was always part-time. The teaching has gone down mm-hmm. and it is my coaching business is now the full-time one. And mm-hmm. I haven't taught at all since I think it was 2017. Mm. Not saying that it'll never come back because Mm. I am connected to schools and someone might want to go on sabbatical. And if they call me, I might trust the universe and go ahead and do it. Yeah. And it did kind of taper off over the course of time. Yeah. So this type of work that you do is a real commitment and it is unique and it is something that you have had to dedicate yourself to. Clearly it has not been like, oh yeah, I know it's going to do this thing. And I just walked out and did it. It's been a lot of personal work for you. Do you have a leadership principle or a personal principle by which you live that kind of helps you stay in the right headspace each day as you walk through living your life this way? Mm. I, I do. I don't know that I do it every day. And when I feel flustered or I'm struggling too much, I will catch myself and come back to it. I believe that three to, that leaders have three things or develop three traits that not everybody has or develops. First, they need to have a vision of a better world for their business then they need to be able to communicate that vision in a way that is inspiring and calls other people forth to join them. And then the third piece is they need to be able to creatively navigate from the present moment Mm. toward that vision. And I had an aha in a leadership program that is visceral for me, that the friction, the creative friction between I am present and I am accepting what's here now while also moving forward creatively to bring change is yeah. leadership. Mm. And it it can be subtle. There, it's not sitting there and going, you know, in frustration. This isn't good enough. That's not it. Right. It's I am aware of what's here now and I have a vision for something that would be even better how do I be in this moment while moving forward? And I I feel a visceral kind of energetic creative tension in that push-pull between the present and the future. Well, what do you do to stay there? Do you have a habit that you you have that kind of helps you stay? Because you said if I wander off, <laughs> yeah. What keeps you there? Yoga, meditation okay. in the morning. Um And then when I feel like, oh, I'm off in that sticky place where I'm, or I'm too focused on the future and I'm overwhelmed with everything that is yet to come, Mm. I try as best I can to actually disengage from whatever it is that I'm doing in that moment. I think this might be something that is helpful for the empaths out there. Mm. I might be sitting in this very room at my laptop And I've worked myself into a state where I'm completely overwhelmed and my body is tight. And if I get up and go for a short walk around the block, 
or get up from where I'm sitting and do a tiny little bit of stretching or yoga, it shifts things and makes mm -hmm. it easier for me to then release the tension and come back into the actual present moment that's in front of me. Yeah, those are really, those are great um, habits. Number one, I do my yoga in the evening. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, my husband will join me. It's usually, that's that's usually when the giggles happen, but it's, um, <laughs> but it is a really nice, it's a way that I shut myself down in the evening to kind of like get it all out and just kind of be quiet. And, um, and then my meditation happens in the morning, but the energy shifting, just getting up and moving spaces. It's amazing how much that will actually do. Those are great. So on this podcast, one of the things we do talk about is green flags because we're intentional optimists. We work towards that future. We live in that messy middle of what's now and what's to come. Um, but we love to talk about green flags for women, especially to look for in their lives for um, depending on who I'm talking to, either how they can do what you've done or how they can move forward in specific areas. What are the things that you would say to women they need to look for in order to be able to start um, maybe addressing the idea that they might be an empath or they might be, you know, or being able to, to speak in ways that are helpful to them, um, that if they are one of these types of people. Yeah. Trusting intuition and knowing when is my intuition, what, what is the difference between my intuition talking to me and all of the shoulds mm -hmm. talking to me? Yeah. Um, and I find when it's the shoulds, it's like the voices are far up in our heads and they're talking incessantly, like two different soul suckers or inner credits arguing with each other. And then the intuition feels more like the voice bubbles up from the heart or from the gut. It's not shouting. It's saying sometimes it's saying it simply one time. And then the more you listen to it, the more it will actually speak to you or break through the incessant chatter of the ego or the inner critic or the soul suckers. Oh, okay. So I personally understand and identify with everything you just said. I mean, I just do. Um, and I'm one of those people who will debate something in my head, just like you're talking about back and forth and back and forth. And then something else will come up and I'll share it with my friends or my family. And people will be like, whiplash, you do it. You're what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yes, but this is the right answer. You know, yeah. and so I fully understand that for people who are not used to listening, what is the best piece of advice you could give somebody to start listening to that? Even if it's just a, this little quiet voice and maybe it's only one time it said, whereas the argument in your head happens over and over and over, what is the, the best advice to start listening? Mm. Sometimes I will ask my clients, what does your body want you to know? So tapping in and kind of noticing what's going on in your body, your body might be re resisting something or sort of opening and feeling tingly and wanting to go toward it. What does your heart want you to know? Those are questions that start helping to invite the voice in that isn't just the mind chatter. Yeah, I like that. Um, because it's just in in our society, um, it's just so easy to be caught in that mind chatter. And and there are quite frankly a lot of coaches who just want to talk about let's just eliminate the voices or turn the voices off or have a conversation with them and um and being able to say no stop. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming from the evangelical world where I come from, it's also, it's our body is not to be trusted. Right. So um, it just isn't. And yeah. um, so do you have any other words, you know, to kind of help, help people understand? Yeah. Sometimes writing down. So actually grabbing a piece of paper and writing down the thoughts that are bouncing back and forth inside of your head okay. helps to create a kind of clarity because sometimes it really is three messages circling around, but it feels like 10,000. So if you write it down and then you look at it, that helps. The other thing that occurred to me as you were talking, rather than just trying not to have those voices, which doesn't seem to work. It's a little bit like trying to shove them in a closet or, you know, shoving a bunch of stuff in the closet. And then eventually it's going to fall down on you. Mm -hmm. Um, My like one of my favorite things came when I was in a coaching class um, this leader said, uh, what's the 2% truth? Or I would say, what's the kernel of truth that each of those messages is giving you? For example, when it comes to leadership or speaking, we might have a soul sucker that I call the imposter monster. Mm -hmm. It's in there telling, telling us, telling me that I'm not good enough for some specific reason. I'm not old enough, young enough, tall enough, thin enough, wise enough, whatever. Mm -hmm. What that voice is actually saying is, Lori, you're different. Mm. If I make it 100% truth and let that critic resistor part take over, it starts trying to cover up the fact that I'm different and pretend to be like what I think everybody else wants from me. Yeah. Whereas if I own, oh, right. The kernel of truth is I'm different. Yeah. And then with some help from friends or a coach or just reminding yourself, there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. We are different. Mm. We have some places where we align, Mm. but there's a lot of work to do to help this world evolve and become an even better place. Mm. So thank goodness you and I have some ways that we're different so that we can bring different things into the world to help it become a better place. I love that. Um, I I love celebrating the uniqueness of each individual and um, I never can remember the number of people on the planet. So thank you. But, (laughs) but it does kind of put it in perspective and to say, we are not the same and that is a good thing. And mm-hmm. it would be super boring if we were. And, but I like that, um, <laughs> the imposter monster. That's great. Um, to be able to say, yeah, actually I am different. And here are the good reasons why I'm different or here's what it gives me or here's what it does for me. And, um, and I love that the reaching out to friends. Um, this is, this is great stuff. I feel like we've gotten a mini coaching session and, um, <laughs> and gotten a good idea of kind of the work that you do and how dedicated you are to it. Um, where's the best place for people to find you online? The best place to find me is my website. It's voice-matters.com. And then from there, there are links to LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and my my website is the easiest one for me to remember rather than trying to remember Absolutely. my, my <laughs> Facebook long name. Absolutely. Yeah. And are you, do, are you currently accepting clients or are you working just in small groups? How does that work? Yeah, I am currently 
more focused in this moment on small groups. I have my compelling speaker program is launching soon. I don't know. Oh, I think this is going to air after it's launched. And there's always two a year. So if you've okay. missed one, you can get on the boat for the one in the fall. Okay. Are those online? Like they're on Zoom. Okay. I like to say okay. I I've been on Zoom since before. Before it was fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> before it was cool. You was yeah. Zoomy before Zoomy was cool. Um, exactly. This has been great. Is there anything I left out? I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, the one last thing I love to ask is if there was one thing that you could say you were always optimistic about, even when everybody else thinks you're crazy, what would that be? Human potential. That's what popped into my head. <laughs> It's, it's infinite, is it not? Yeah. 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 Um, thank you. This is, this has been great. I have so enjoyed finally getting to meet you and talk with you and get to know you better. I know we will chat again soon um, for my guest speaker series, and I'm looking forward to that very much. Thank you so much. Me too. Thank you. She sees the soul underneath the static. Whoa. How powerful was that revelation that when she let her own walls down, she found she could connect with everybody else. See, you don't have to be an extrovert to connect, lead, or speak. Now, you know I always have a takeaway or two, but first, I want to point out where I see Lori embody the tenets of intentional optimism. As a brief reminder, these are universal concepts. We all live some of the tenets some of the time, and I just pulled together the ones I needed and I pursued them intentionally. And as it turns out, I'm not the only one who needs the reminders. And I love pointing out how each guest exemplifies a couple of the tenets so that you can see where they might show up for you. Because what we do is likely very different. Intentional optimism is how we do what we do. It's the attitudes and mindsets that we employ and embody to live out our own values, goals, and dreams with excellence. In short, it's a personal growth lifestyle. So if you're new here, welcome. There's a resource listed in the show notes called What is Intentional Optimism? And it's a quick guide to each of the six tenets and how you can pursue them in your daily life. You can also scroll back through the past episodes of this podcast and find dozens of solo shows in which I dive deeper into what makes up each and every one. Now, Lori already lives out several of the tenets. Right here, we're going to look at two, and these stood out in our conversation. The first is Courageous. She has the ability to see things that others can't and then communicate that vision in a way that they understand. She actually leads people to become leaders in their own way. And this is all part of being courageous. The second is wise. Seeing what's underneath includes acknowledging that there is a spiritual aspect to everything. Lori sees that whole picture and then she breaks it down for those who need it. Unconventional leaders lead at every level in any area using their unique gifts. All right, let's talk about how Lori's story inspires you. Well, here's my big takeaway. It's the idea of the creative friction between where you are today with the vision that could be, yet not quite being there yet. Ira Glass calls this the gap. There will always be a space in between what we have or where we are and what can be what we want to be or do, even if it's just one step. And I think her comments about getting comfortable in that space are what is so powerful about the concept. 
You know, in the Western world, we're programmed to be in one place or the other. We tend to think in overly practical terms, and we don't allow ourselves to be in both places at once. It feels awkward, doesn't it? Unsettling. Odd. But when you can find the comfort in that space, where you can see where you're going, yet knowing you're not quite there yet, you can then take small steps over and over that are necessary to get you there. Trust me. This is literally my own journey. So I ask you, do you have a vision you need to share? Do you see it, but know you're not there yet? This is where you show up as a leader. It's time to get to know yourself so that you're more comfortable being in the journey rather than lamenting the fact that you're not yet at the destination. My friend, understanding who you are, your core values, your boundaries, this is the best part and the best place to start. It's what I do. So please definitely reach out through DM in Instagram or LinkedIn, and we'll set up a time to chat. I have some really great options for you. Now, of course, you're going to find Lori's contact information in the show notes, and she and I will be live in a conversation shortly after this episode airs with more information and ideas on how to navigate this gap for yourself. You don't want to miss it. So follow me on social media and you'll see the announcement or just subscribe to my YouTube channel where you can find all the guest speakers past, present, and future. So get over there and subscribe so you don't miss any. The link is in the show notes. Now, go share Lori's story. Surely you know somebody who needs to hear it. And if you're feeling generous, scroll down to the app where you're listening and give us a five-star rating and review. And maybe even tag me over on LinkedIn or Instagram and tell me your big takeaway from this conversation. That will help other women find this podcast and more unconventional leaders just like Lori Smith. Until next time. Oh, good. You're still here because I have one more invitation for you. My newsletter, Optimistic Living, is full of good stuff delivered straight to your inbox. So for weekly encouragement, tips, and even some special offers, hop over to my website and sign up because unconventional leaders lead at every level in any area using their unique gifts. And you, my friend, are a leader. You are the future of leadership and the role models for future generations. Mm